Welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we got a, a good brother on the show, somebody we're going to explore a lot of things with, but he's what I like to call a real journalist, none other than Joel <laughs> Anderson. What's up, man? Oh, bro. Thanks for having me on, Bakari. I appreciate you, man. Look, we start each one of our episodes kind of unique because a lot of people see you on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They read your work, see your work, and uh, they just assume you ended up there out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Um, you had various beats in local papers, and you've had a run at BuzzFeed and ESPN, a number of national outlets. But walk us through the arc of your career from your first job at the AP to what you now do over at Slate. Yeah, so I guess it goes back to, well, I've always known I wanted to be a journalist since I was a kid. I was a huge Ralph Wiley fan. Like that's the book that was foundational to me. And I knew that I was like, oh, I want to write like that. Um, And I went to school, I played football actually at TCU in the nineties. And my, my, Original thing that I used to say is that if I couldn't cover a Super Bowl, I wanted to play in one. Uh, <laughs> I ain't done neither. <laughs> but time. How your knees? I, been? I, I, no, not not great. Not great. <laughs> not great at all. And I got and I got a repaired a, a repaired Achilles. But um, so but but you know once I got there and I realized football wasn't for me, I started working at the college newspaper and I got internships not long after that. And it used to be. Uh, at the AP back in the day, that if you uh, passed their internship, quote, passed, they would give you a full-time job. And so I was like, well, I don't even need to look for no other job. I just wanted to work as soon as I was graduated. And so I got a job at the AP in Dallas. And, um, you know, it was a really good foundational experience for me because you get to cover a little bit of everything, shootings. Uh, I covered the spaceship uh, explosion over East Texas in 2003. I covered an execution. Um I did broadcast writing. Like you just get to do a little bit of everything, covering sports, everything else. And so it just was a really good foundation for me. And and so that's really, you know, how I got my start in the business. Um, it was really that, I, I, I mean, I probably skipped, you know, some of the steps along the way, but for the most part, it was realizing that football was something I was not going to go pro at and uh, redirecting my efforts. And, uh, you know, man, I, you know, I, I always knew I could write, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily like talking to people. I was sort of a shy person, but um, it all worked out for me in that way. Like that was the, the foundation was the writing and that's what got me into it. Man, that's that's beautiful. I mean, I let me before we get to t- tell folk what Slate is. I mean, just for people who may not know, t- tell people what it is. Yeah, no, Slate is one of, probably one of the first uh, news websites like in the Internet. Um, like, you know, yeah. uh, MSN started it up at the time and um yeah, man, it was. It's you know, it's. A, I guess it's an ostensibly liberal online uh, uh, news site, but it has a robust offering of po- podcasts. Like it's probably about half podcast, half half print, and so there's Decoder Ring, which does pop culture stuff. Hang up and listen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you know, we got a little bit of everything. So yeah, man, we um, you know, Slow Burn, of course, is you know one of the the, you know, one of the the crown jewels of Slate, and I, I take that really serious. You know, getting to sit in that host seat three times. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine a lot of people that watch Fox News are sitting around watching or uh, reading Slate uh, unless they just want to make themselves mad or something. So <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I often ask this of our journalists who come on, especially the ones who covered local politics like you have. Mm-hmm. What are we losing in journalism now with so many smaller newspaper cutting back their coverage, going to once a week or just going online? And this focus on national political news and what's happening in D.C., especially when the culture wars and much of the news is being made is at the local level with school boards, city right. council and state legislatures. What what do you think that gap or the 
that local journalism, what do you think we're missing by not having it? Well, I mean, I think you kind of see that people have rushed in to fill the gap with disinformation, like these local, you know, conservative activists or whatever have have rushed to fill in the gap and they're misinforming people. Um, and there's nobody really to hold these local governments accountable. Like maybe it was difficult to do that already. But I think, of, for instance, these big, you know, investigations over the Supreme Court, the ProPublica has done. And like if, at that level, if there's that sort of malfeasance. It's presumable that like that sort of malfeasance is going on in governments all throughout the country. And I'm not accusing people of being like politicians and local government officials of being like, you know, grifters or anything, but it's just really easy. And it's like there's all sorts of like handholding and, you know, backdoor room deals and all this other stuff that are happening at the local level. And it just becomes that you have a class of unaccountable people that are in charge of the lives of people like the people that. Your mayor has, your mayor and city council has so much more to do with your daily life as a person than like the president does, right? Like the president does matter. I'm not lying about that, but like how your trash gets picked up, if yep. that pothole's getting fixed. Your um, school. Your schools. Yeah, right. Like what your kids are learning there. Where, how, they're gonna Bro, go Joe Biden does, Joe Biden don't choose your local police chief. Bro, yes, yes. Yes. And like those people aren't answering questions. They're not even answering questions anymore with the with the loss of these local media outlets. And so I don't think people I, I'm glad you asked that question, Picard, because I mean, I don't think people there's a real crisis going on at that level. The newspaper that I, I always say that I got my real journalism education at was the Shreveport Times. That was a Gannett owned paper. Y'all's um, country as hell, boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, man. You know, look, man, I love Shreveport, man. I tell them, don't nobody talk about Shreveport to me. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm, I'm a. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a diehard, but I mean, so when I got to Shreveport in 2005, they had 70 people in the newsroom. Now I think they have two, two, mm-hmm. and 15. So I mean, like, and we covered all kind of stuff. We covered the police. We found all sorts of there were all sorts of investigative stuff going on. Just think of all the stuff that people are missing in town now that they don't know about, or they're not even being informed about the people making their decisions. There's no profiles being written about them, right? Um. Or, or people doing that sort of ambitious work. So, yeah, man, it's a real crisis. I mean, you scared me. Like, I'm just thinking, oh, man, there's just something else in America that's going wrong. But, um, yeah, it, man, it's, it, it's, really it's, scary. A, it's It's a slow burn, which is a it natural is. <laughs> segue. I like that. I like you that. Like I did that. It's a, <laughs> this is a natural segue to uh, talk about your podcast. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Let's talk about this season Mm -hmm. of Slow Burn on Clarence Thomas, which is my favorite podcast right now, other than the one that I'm doing. I appreciate Um, (laughs) that. First, why, why Clarence Thomas? And why now? Because he's been around for a long time. And let me just also say that I, I am somebody who believes that the cruelest trick that America's ever pulled on black folk was replacing Thurgood Marshall with Clarence Thomas. 
Man, I, 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 should, we should have interviewed you. I would, I would have liked to have had that clip in there. I, I think there's a couple things. One, the, the, the most obvious top level answer about why I wanted to do it. I was like, well, everybody will be interested in that, and it, we were t- hoping to sync it up with the affirmative action rulings in the Supreme Court this summer. We were just like, okay, that seems like a natural place. Believe it or not, people were not as excited about doing this season as I was, and so I had to kind of keep pushing for it. Um, but eventually I got them to see that that side of it. And I was just like, you know, people think that they know a lot about the 1991 confirmation hearings, even of themselves. Like I wasn't necessarily that interested in telling that that part of it. I wanted to tell the story of his upbringing and how he came to become who he was. But I was like, there's things that are happening in the confirmation hearing from 1991 that people may have forgotten. And they may see the parallels in like the Kavanaugh hearings, for instance. Like, um, and I was just like, you know, the, the things that we're, newly outraged about like we've been through that and it was in Clarence Thomas and maybe it was worth exploring. The other thing about this, um, this is sort of more personal and I was thinking about it as we got to the end of this season. There's a guy in the podcast that we interviewed named Eddie Jenkins. He went to college with Clarence Thomas at Holy Cross. He played in the NFL for a little bit. He's an attorney in Boston and he was just talking about like this feeling of loss um, that he had a friend that he knew and he was just like, how did this happen? Like, how did he end up here? And I actually had that in my own life. And I don't know if people have had this in their own lives, but I had a really close friend that became a Trumper right around 2016, black guy, you know, guy that, you know, was best man at my wedding. I love that guy. And he changed. And I was like, oh, did I miss stuff along the way? Oh, wait I a minute. Stuff. I was about to say, let's back, let's unpack this. Did, did he change or did you just not see it? I think it's a little of both. I think it's a little bit, you know, it was, it was one of those friends. He was like really cool, cool with me, but everybody was like, I don't know, why are you bringing that dude around? You know what I'm saying? He was just kind of like, <laughs> you know, and you kind of find yourself apologizing for him before you show up. Like, look, man, you kind of, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, I love that dude. And so I think Eddie Jenkins feels the same way about Clarence Thomas. And so you're just like, how does this happen? Like, did, did I miss something, as you mentioned, or did like, I just not, you know, did he change? And so like, I think that was sort of a, as I, as I realized as I got to the end of this, that was one of the questions that sort of drove me. Like, how how did he end up like this? How does a black man end up like this? And the thing is, there are a lot of black men like Clarence Thomas, and we know them all. You know, we know a lot of black people like Clarence Thomas. Most of them don't end up where he is, and most of them don't actually end up identifying as Republicans, but we know a lot of people like that. And I was just very curious to know, like, how did they get there? Yeah, I mean, they, they most of the time are in the barbershop talking politics, just insane i mean i'm like what what are you talking about but that's where they are if anybody's looking like clarence thomas they're in the barbershop oh absolutely i mean there's always that guy that yeah i mean you know you clearly i mean i'm I'm sure it's like the dude that was arguing on behalf of larry bird over magic johnson in the 80s you know what i'm saying like there's that guy or you know magic is too flashy and smiles too much you know larry is more fundamental you know that kind of <laughs> it was just like oh that was clarence thomas we just didn't know you know <laughs> So there was a period of time where Clarence wasn't really a conservative at all, at, at all. Um, mm-hmm. criticized black men who dated black women and took issue with white racists in the South. And even at one point, I learned from your podcast that Clarence Thomas wanted to be a civil rights attorney at the Yale Law School. Mm-hmm. What changed and when did it change where we get this current version? Well, I think one of the conceits here is that I don't think that he's necessarily changed that much. I think a lot of what he went through in Holy Cross was, first of all, a young man finding himself, right? Like he had gone to the seminary prior to going to Holy Cross, thought he wanted to be a priest. That didn't work out. Um, And he had sort of lived his life according to his grandfather, Myers Anderson, who was sort of the hero of his life. Um, And so he finally gets a chance to get away from his grandfather, get away from the priesthood. He goes to Holy Cross. It's the late 60s. 
who was cooler in the late 60s than Malcolm X and Black Panthers? You know what I mean? Like if you if you like if you're a guy that's trying to find your find your way around uh, the world at that point and you're trying to create a new identity for yourself and try on some costumes like that is what you would do. Right. Um, and so I think there was that part of it. But I also think that conservatives welcomed him like they courted him. They made him feel like he belonged. Um, and they're like, well, hey, you know, you can come over here. The line is shorter. We can give you these great opportunities. Um, you know, it was a Republican that gave him his first job out of college, um, Missouri Senator John Danforth, a, a wealthy guy, like he's heir to the Purina uh, fortune. So like you can clearly see a guy who just ha doesn't have like a real clear like set of ideology, political ideologies, just sort of not a lot of commitments, looking for people to bond with, like, you know, feel some closeness with some people, a fraternity, if you will. And then you got a guy who's like, I got a job for you and I got connections for you. That is what I think um, has as much to do with his rightward turn as anything else. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Let me ask you a million dollar question. Mm -hmm. Does Clarence Thomas genuine, genuinely believe the shit he writes? I think he does. I do. do you, don't you, well, I'm going to say, don't you think so too? I really believe that he believes that. Now, I think it's a perverted view of self and where you are in your plight in the world, but it, I think he believes it. Yeah. I mean, I think... <laughs> This is going to sound real. I don't think he likes black people. Like, I think I think he I think he loves black people. I also think he doesn't like black people. Like, I think he is. I think he loves I, that's a general. I think he has black people he loves. Okay. But I, I think the concept of black people is something that he doesn't. I think he holds himself out as different from. I think. So, yeah, this is a really interesting question. I mean, he he's of the black community. Like one thing that was sort of a surprise doing this podcast is, and, and you you tell me, you know, because you, you we're about the same age. 
I thought Clarence Thomas was totally a making of white institutions. Like, I just thought, oh, white schools, white Republicans, he has no connection to his community. That's not true. Like, That's he, not, true at all. not true at all. Like, he is very, <laughs> you go to the community where he's from, and those folks are still there. They still revere him and feel close to him, right? Um, and so I just, I thought that, like, he, he has a vision of like what black people were when he was growing up and it was beaten to his head by his grandfather. Like we overcome, we don't, we, we do, we do for ourselves. Anybody that takes a handout, um, they're, they're willing to be demeaned. They're not, you know, worthy of respect. Um, and I think so like, I think that's where sort of the division comes, but I think that he is of black people, loves them what's better for them, but is also willing to let them suffer to get to this greater, this greater, more prosperous future. I, he, he is a person, I believe, that truly believes that life was better for Black people in the Jim Crow South. Let me ask you about four people. Okay. Jenny Thomas. Ooh, yeah. Clarence's mother. Mm-hmm. Clarence's sister. Mm-hmm. And Kathy Ambush. What did yeah. you learn about those four people? Man. Oh, man. Well, so Kathy Ambush is his first wife. He marries her uh, the day after he graduates from Holy Cross. Um, she is from a black family in Worcester, Massachusetts, and she is a very nice person. And it's like perfect for a person that uh, has very strong opinions, wasn't going to kind of push back. Uh, he sort of led the way. Um, and she is the person that, you know, uh, she's the mother of his only biological child, right? Uh, Jamal. Um, his mother, I think he has a lot of resentment toward her because she gave him up when he was six years old. And I think that like Clarence Thomas has sort of a very weird relationship with black women, by which I mean that he is disappointed in them. I mean, that's going to be a fucking understatement on this podcast. I mean, the first thing (laughs) they're going to think about is Anita Hill, but continue. Yeah, no, right. Exactly. Like, I just think he is disappointed in them. And he is, I think he was desirous of their attention and love. And he didn't get it. He didn't find it to his liking. He didn't get what he wanted and didn't find it to his liking. And that he uh, ever since has be, sort of been lashing out at them. Um, you said Jenny Thomas. Jenny Thomas, as far as I know, first white woman that man ever dated, man. I, I don't know anybody that knows him that knew of him being romantically involved with white women prior to Jenny Thomas. That Jenny Thomas is just sort of like a bolt of lightning <laughs> in his life. He met her at an affirmative action conference. Um, and when he first meets her, He's That's like, the funniest shit on earth. Ain't right? That, I mean, I mean, why where, was she there? Where, where, do you think, where do you think Clarence Thomas met Jenny Thomas? People wouldn't guess that. Oh, they, yeah. They, they just, it, it doesn't, it sounds like the writers have jumped the shark. Exactly. And I'm just like, why was she there in the first place? I just don't get it. But, you know, it was a conservative event. And uh, he meets her and he's just like, well, she has a boyfriend. Also, she's white. I don't date white women. And then that changes. And so, um, I think that like she truly, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of Clarence Thomas and uh, Jenny Thomas of people. I mean, just Google their pictures. That man looks extremely happy with his wife. I think he very much loves her. And uh, she's a republic. She's from a Republican family. They share a lot of the same values. And I just think he had never met a person like that before. He had never gotten, he never had the opportunity to even get close to a white woman like that. And I think it blew him away. But um as a result, though, he has a lot of resentment for Black women. And as you meant about Anita Hill, um, it shows up in his treatment of her and other people when he was uh, the boss at the EEOC. Uh, his mom, his sister? His mom, his sister. So I don't think he has a lot of respect for them. I think he loves them. 
but I don't think he has a lot of respect for them because they were very, I mean, these are very, they're very salt of the earth folk, man. Like you talk to his mom, that, that could have been any black female elder in my family. You know what I mean? Like just, she's been there for a long time. She's taken care of folk. Um, she's got it. She's very religious, has a very a defined sense of right and wrong. And his sister is a person who he insulted in the paper, in the pages of the Washington Post in 1980, calling her essentially a welfare queen. And she today is 74, 74, 75 years old, still working. Like, I mean, it's, that's the thing that was that was just sort of offensive on its face is that this is a woman that he um, insulted to score political points in the press. And like, she stayed behind in Georgia and is taking care of the elders of the family like a lot of Black women do. She's doing the work of keeping the family together, um, being sort of the matriarch of the family and still working. Like she never, like even when she was doing welfare, she was still trying, she was still taking care of people, still trying to find a way to provide for her family. And he just doesn't have a lot of respect for her. I think there's a lot of distance between Clarence and his mother and his sister. I think that like he still respects them as his family or whatever, but I don't, I didn't get the sense that there was a lot of closeness. It, you know, Clarence had a brother named Myers who died in 2003. Um, he's the guy that moved with him to his grandfather's house. And I get the feeling that Myers was sort of like, the brother that was closer to the mother and the sister and everything else. Clarence has sort of been off on his own uh, for a long time. Last question for you. How can people find and listen to and subscribe to Slow Burn? And how can people follow you? Because you're one of the best followers I have. Oh, man, don't say that. I appreciate that, though. I appreciate it. Uh, no, so anywhere you listen to podcasts, man, you can go to Slate.com. You can go to Spotify. You know what I'm saying? I know that's, you know, a big deal here. You know, The check's cash. Thank the you. Right, so I'm trying to, you know, shout out. Appreciate that. And so, yeah, uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And, uh, yeah, the fourth episode comes out. Fourth and final podcast comes out uh, on Wednesday. I think what's day June twenty first. So yeah, man. Uh, I think I think we did we did some interesting work. I think that people will like it. Um, and I hope you all will reach out. And you can find me at by Joel Anderson on Twitter for now. I don't know about you, Bakari. I, don't, I mean, like, are you are you ready to do the Blue Sky thing? Are you? So I don't know, man. I, I have I have two more books coming out in the next oh, eighteen, months. and then I think I'm probably just going to take a social media break. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Got kids too, man. Well, you ain't got time. I mean, I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna check out of social media and by the, I'm 38. I'll be 39 in September. Book come out next year, so mm -hmm. probably after inauguration, I'll check out. Wow, really? Okay, yeah. So no, man, you got it. Well, we can still hear you on your podcast, so don't yeah, go, don't 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 stay too far away from us. Man. I appreciate <laughs> you. I love you, brother. Thanks for joining That's the show. Likewise, bro. Thanks for having me on, man. <laughs>